Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks like those tasty Infinity Stones. What? As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, we've, we took a week off. How you doing? I've pretty much recovered from the oscars but it's tough it's tough it's tough yeah it's we took a week off uh from the podcast because we i mean just with all the oscar coverage and all the oscar debate i suppose was really just exhausting just draining so we took a week off and now we're back and finally david we can talk about something other than the prestige movies we're here to talk about captain marvel we're back into the mcu again it feels like it's either the mcu or it's the oscars right now and i'm fine with it i'm fine with it um but uh yeah captain marvel's came out this weekend massive box office huge hit um despite what you know some people attempted to do i suppose we'll talk about that in a little bit but for those of you who haven't heard of Captain Marvel at all. It is another entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it is what the 22nd? Is it really the 22nd already? Not well, 21st. So I was close. Um, and you know, reviewing Marvel Cinematic Universe movies is almost kind of pointless at this point because. It's like reviewing new shows of a television show, you know, like if you're in on the television show, odds are you're going to stay in. It's not to say that you couldn't go out and come back in again, you know, like Walking Dead. I I'm, I don't watch Walking Dead anymore. But at the same time, why would you skip any of them? That's like skipping three episodes of season six of Game of Thrones. There's no reason for it, you know. Uh, but that being said, you know, Captain Marvel's here. For those of you who don't know about Captain Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel, the character, is an extraterrestrial Kree. Kree is the alien race, um, and she is a warrior who finds herself caught in the middle of an intergalactic war between the Kree and the Skrulls. Now, in this particular movie, she winds up finding herself stranded on Earth in 1995, and she keeps having these weird recurring memories of another life as U.S. Air Force pilot Carol Danvers. And so what happens is she teams up with a young agent, Nick Fury, and they uh, together try to uncover the secrets of her past while also you know, harnessing her special superpowers to help end the war with those evil scrolls. But even then, that synopsis is a little misleading at times. There are twists and turns along the way, but, you know, we'll get into those. We won't get into those until we talk about spoilers, David. But this is, aside from, like, um, you know, little flashbacks here and there in in the different movies, this is the first full-blown Marvel prequel. Um, did that excite you? Like, did you, I mean, obviously you and I were 90s kids, you know? Did, did you find any level of excitement in that, like, oh, it's going to be 90s, oh, look, it's a blockbuster or whatever? Uh, was that a big selling point for you? I wouldn't say it was a selling point, but I enjoyed it throughout the film. Um, that being said, I feel like if you wanted to be nitpicky at times throughout the film, there's uh, there's some stuff that doesn't quite work with the 90s stuff. Um, at times it felt maybe a little forced uh, in some of the spots. Uh, but it, it was fun. I mean, I enjoyed um, seeing things from our childhood, 
some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the music. I think if you I think if you went back to it and watched it again, you'd probably notice even more stuff that you didn't see the first time. Sure. From a '90s aspect, which is always fun. Sure. Um, it's hard because while the '90s is what. 20 years ago, um, 20 to 30 years ago, depending which part of the nineties you want to go to. Um, it, it doesn't feel like that dated. Like there's certain aspects of it that seem super dated, but like, and, and maybe it's cause we grew up in it. So like you kind of lose track of like what is dated and what isn't when when you live through it. But maybe for like, teenagers now right. that never lived in the 90s right it looks super dated like maybe the 80s or the 70s feel to us which was pre our time it makes me wonder if like 60 year olds think like look back on like the 70s and are like well it wasn't that long ago like because yeah. that's how i feel about the 90s sure there you're right in that there are some things that i didn't notice the first time going around like this movie is a very it's it, it especially in its second act takes on a very buddy cop movie yeah feel um, which is was the the uh, the creators, the writers, uh, Anna Bowden and Don, uh, Ryan Fleck said was intentional. You know, they wanted it to feel like a 90s movie, even so much as to if you listen to the musical score, it has some of the guitar twangs that you might be used to in like a Lethal Weapon movie and stuff like that. And I really appreciated that. Um, and I, you know, there's some gags in there that I liked, uh, you know, slowness of computers or, mm-hmm. sure. or um, you know, uh, you know, various. Uh, forms of attire and whatnot, and sure. uh, uh, and I was down with that. But it's also funny to see how things like didn't like evolve that much, like cars. Like, oh, okay, that's a motorcycle. Motorcycles will murder. Or oh, he has a gun. Like, okay, a gun. Like that stuff hasn't evolved all that yeah, much. Sure. So I thought that was funny. Um, what's also unique about this is that obviously with Infinity War, it ended with the pager. And this gives us an opportunity to go back and explain the pager, the pager and what Captain Marvel is all about. And that puts this movie in a unique place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the timeline, you know, because there are for the most part, you've been able to watch the MCU in order and it is falls chronologically. But now if you want to start putting the MCU together chronologically you would start with captain america the first avenger it's gonna say and technically then, you were wrong in the prequel thing that's true. because first avenger was the the first prequel that's we got true. out of you it. are you are correct that's it was the first prequel so i was wrong about that um write that down everybody i was wrong and i admit it uh but i do think it's funny that both captains got prequels number one and number two like those are the ones that start the universe you would watch captain america first and then you would watch captain marvel because this movie serves as somewhat of a sequel to captain america there are some pieces we won't get into it but there are some pieces to the plot for captain marvel that tie directly in here but it also serves as a direct pre- prequel to several other films. Obviously, Infinity War. Yep. Obviously, Iron Man. Uh, anything with Nick Fury. But also Guardians of the Galaxy, too. It was mm-hmm. well publicized that there are several. Number one, the Kree. It's not the first time that we've encountered the Kree. Ronan, the accuser, who was the bad guy in the first Guardians film, was a Kree religious fanatic. Mm-hmm. And so he's in this movie before he goes cuckoo caban you know although he's already like 
definitely unchill. Sure, sure. Um, you also have Korath. Shimon Hansau is is back. He's part of Star Force, which is like the Marines, and he was Ronin's like sidekick, sort of enforcer in Guardians. Mm-hmm. So you get that as well. And I found that really interesting. You know, I found that that was one of the film's strengths was tying those things back in and catching those little Easter eggs. And I know you like Easter eggs, so. Yeah, do you think do you think that handicapped this film at all in the sense that there was certain things that it had to abide by, for lack of a better term, that Ooh. it had to, you know, you some of these things were already predetermined. Sure. You know, like you knew Ronan was never going to come down and get involved in the fight and maybe get defeated, you know, like... Right, you know you Ronan's knew, not dying, you know... Yeah, you know even certain characters like Fury and Coulson right. and things like that, they're right. not dying. We know they they come later. We know, uh, you know, there's a number of things in, in general. Do you feel like that hurts a prequel at all? I mean, obviously we went through it with the Star Wars prequels, this sure. would be an example. Um the Hobbit to to a lesser degree, but do you think that's sometimes a challenge with prequels um, when you already kind of know the rest of the story about some of the characters? It depends on how far back the prequel goes, in my opinion, Um, because, and this is, I guess, considered to be a minor spoiler, but the film does not end right as like Guardians begins, you know? It ends with there being space. So it doesn't end with like, oh, now this guy is exactly as we saw him before. Sure. So so in that sense, I don't feel like it's that handicapped because there are additional stories that could be told. Sure. Um, But you're all right. Like it does certainly give itself a a certain amount of baggage. Although I think that when it comes to some of the characters, some of them makes are, are of such little impact that they really just help flesh out the universe. And in that case, I think it might be a um, whatever the opposite of a handicap is. <laughs> I think it might be a an asset. an asset, a benefit in that we can say, oh, you've seen this guy before. Oh, remember that? This ties into there. Like it helps flesh the world out a little more, you know. Um, now, coming into this, David, obviously uh, you you don't pay attention to the bullshit as much as I do when it comes to like the press and all that, right? I think we can establish correct. that pretty firmly. That would be correct. So I do want to I, I do want to take just a moment here to just again, this is like my my becoming a, a regular episode plea that um, I think one of the biggest things that has plagued this movie coming forward has been the toxicity in which some people have approached this film. Now, Brie Larson came out before the press release and she actually said like, I would like to see more diversity in the film junkets. I would like to see more than just old white guys. And so, of course, a certain community, a certain group of angry white guys took that as in, you know, oh, this movie isn't for white guys. Like, this is, you know, they took real bad bad offense to it. And so they've been troll bombing it. You know, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, there's been this whole controversy about the way that they are collecting audience feedback now because that audience feedback is so disingenuous. And and I just, it, it goes back to me pleading with all of us to just like if we can argue about movies like regularly that would be great i think one of the big things that that has really plagued this film and the film community over the past 3 4 5 months heck going back to the oscars i know 
we said we were done with the Oscars, but if you look back at the Oscars, we are getting into the habit of making movie arguments into moral arguments. And I think that that's dangerous. You know, I think that there are conversations to be had about the morality of Hollywood and creators and things like that. But if you look at, you know, the Oscars, there, there were not insignificant people making arguments that if you supported Green Book, then you're a racist. And if you supported Bohemian Rhapsody, then you are supporting its rapist director. To say nothing of the fact of the quality of those films, you know? And the same goes here. I think you see a lot of people who are coming out. I mean, shit, man. You, you have IMDb had three, 4,000 one-star reviews on Tuesday. The movie had not even come out yet. And there's such a weird... I think Brie Larson even called it adrenalized loneliness which i think is a really interesting term and it's getting a rush out of going on and and screwing with people in this way and i know you don't have much to say about it i know that you are more of just don't be a dick dick kind of i know that's where you're you're pretty much falling in place here i mean i think unfortunately <laughs> you know there's there's good and bad to the internet and this would be an example of the bad like you know, it gives people a platform to just be petty and stupid. And sure. unfortunately, there's plenty of people that believe everything they see on the Internet. And so, you know, they don't they don't understand what's going on with like people trolling a movie on IMDb. And so they just look at the surface value of it's six and a half out of ten. OK, maybe I'll wait for it to be on Netflix you sure. know, like or whatever. You know, so I think there is a, a real effect of some of this, which is unfortunate, but I think it's also not surprising um, given, I mean, just go on Twitter for five minutes and search things and you'll realize. Search Captain Marvel and SJW and you'll you'll realize people just you quickly people just some people just want to get in an argument or stir things up on Twitter bottle of and, and, and hope that it drives followers for them or something. So it's it's a little ridiculous from that standpoint. That being said, I mean, I think, you know, this movie's still going to make a ton of money. It already has. And yep. the one day that we know of it made. Yep. Like 60 plus million uh, is the estimate on Friday. Odds are it's going to um, have a pretty big worldwide opening. Yeah, they're they're guessing somewhere around 188 um, right now. And we're today, as we record this, this is a Saturday, so we don't know the for sure numbers. Sure. So uh, again, I don't think this is going to hurt its success. Um, obviously, it's an unfortunate situation. But at the same time, like I think once you get you know, five, ten years down the road and you look at it in hindsight, I don't think many people are going to remember the stupidity of some of the drama around it. Yeah. And I won't. I mean, yeah, there there are certainly deeper conversation to be had about, you know, in, inclusion and diversity and things like that. Suffice it to say that I'm for it, you know, I'm for I just watched. Uh, I mean, over the past few days, I watched. This, I watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse again, which is, Jesus, such a good movie. Uh, I'm for it, man. If we can tell great stories, I'm for it. If Marvel can can continue telling these stories and continue building their brand and continue using that brand for inclusion, then I'm for it. Um, and that kind of leads into the conversation about the Marvel brand, David, because one of my biggest questions about this movie, and again, I will come, I will come out and fully say that I had... 
without getting too much into the personal details of it, had one of the worst days of my life the day I saw this movie. Just really stressful, emotional, taxing day. A long day. So I saw Captain Marvel at the tail end of that. I saw it really tired. Um, I still really enjoyed it. But I think my biggest criticism of the movie is that it really didn't feel incredibly unique. Which isn't to say that it doesn't have some unique parts in it, which we'll talk about more in spoilers. Um, But... My question to you, David, is we're seeing now Marvel is continuing on doing what they're doing, right? And we'll get a better idea of what their future will look like after uh, Spider-Man Far From Home when they announce their upcoming slate. And then you got DC over here, which has tried to catch up with Marvel, failed miserably, and is now seemingly going out and making these really weird, unique, you know, director-driven films, And it seems like they're going to begin separating from themselves more and more and more. And I wonder, and I ask you the question, do you think that these Marvel movies and this Marvel brand allows a certain level of uniqueness to come out? You know, I think a big part of what they do is they go and they find these younger directors and yet... They all come out kind of looking the same. They all kind of out kind of having similar action. You know, not always. You know, each each superhero has their own unique shit, you know, and they come up with it. But what do you think about that? Does, does this being the 21st movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, are we seeing enough uniqueness here? Did you feel like there was a there was a that there was enough in this movie to make it stand out um, in terms of production, in terms of look, whatever? Um, well, I think with with this movie, I think there's a couple things about it. First, you get to 21 movies and you want them all to be cohesive. Like you're gonna have some things that feel done before when you get to the 21st film. So sure. I think from that standpoint, I don't know that I walked away from it being like we've seen all this stuff before. Um, Captain Marvel would be an example of one of the heroes that I don't have a whole lot of experience with. Um, so. You Likewise, know, go, going into it like I didn't, I didn't read up on it. I didn't read the spoilers, anything like that. Sure. So I didn't read up on the character herself. So going into that, like I expected, you know, kind of like Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain America to a lesser degree, and even Iron Man. Going back to Iron Man and and Thor, that's the thing about the Marvel characters in general. Their origin stories are not as well known as like Batman and Superman and things like that. Sure. So that's a good point. Um, this being something though that was um, a prequel that you know introduced people like Fury and Coulson. I mean, it's kind of the origin story for both of them too. True. Um, so to be in that situation made it a little bit different. And so I think you know obviously you had to stay true to certain aspects of that. I think from a fighting standpoint in that, I mean. I think it's harder because it's not clearly defined what Captain Marvel's powers are. That was going to be my um, next question. You know. <laughs> what are you, her powers? You saw how she got her powers. Yeah. Um, but you don't really know what they truly are other than it appears she has. And here's a question, too. Uh, and I guess we can save that for, for spoilers. So yeah. I'll, I'll skip that aspect. But I guess to kind of wrap up the whole thing about the the brand and the uniqueness um, I think they took a different route um, going for like a buddy cop movie. So I like that. You know, 
points for them for that, for trying to go a different direction. No, it doesn't feel that much different from everything else. But again, I still think it kind of has to fit into that Marvel world. So if you're going to do it on Earth um, and you don't have different dimensions like Doctor Strange did. Right. Um, or Black Panther, where you have this unique world we've never been to. Right. Um, then it's going to feel like other movies because we've had three Iron Man movies that were on Earth. We've had a Hulk movie that was we've on Earth. We've had space movies. We've had Avengers movies on Earth. So I don't really knock them for for that. I think um, when we get into spoilers and that, I'll be more nitpicky on like things they chose to do in general in this sure. film that I think could have been better. But I think overall, I think it stands, it stands well for itself. Um, I think it also kind of continued. Um, I think there's a distinct kind of shift in Marvel post Thor Ragnarok, in the sense that they've tried to incorporate humor a lot more into mm-hmm. their films, um, and even you could say to a lesser degree, Guardians was the first step sure. towards that. Sure. Um, but I think that is continued in this film um in the sense that you know there's a lot more like attempts at jokes and and a lot more gags and funny dialogue and all that kind of stuff that you didn't really get in our first probably like eight or nine films of marvel um maybe a couple more than that like first iron man while there was funny aspects of it 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 wasn't it was much more kind of your traditional action superhero type of film. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, to kind of go back. I mean, obviously, we've gone back and watched these all multiple times, but to kind of track the humor of it. I looked up Captain Marvel's powers really quickly here. Um, Captain Marvel's powers, superhuman strength, endurance, stamina, physical durability, uh, limited precognitive seventh sense, and perfectly algamated human Cree physiology, resistant to most toxins and poisons, all right? All that tracks. Yep. She's super strong. She's super fast. She's super endurant, whatever. Cool. Also, though, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting, she can fly faster than the speed of sound. She can fly, like, literally the fastest. Um, but the biggest thing, and this is where it gets into a little fuzzy territory, is she has the ability to tap into an energy source, right? And anytime you deal with quote-unquote energy in the movies, things always feel a little bit more ill-defined or inconsistent. Now, maybe she has the ability to control her energy, which, you know, it could be, you know, over. it controls heat, it controls electromagnetic uh, spectrum, it controls gravity and all that. But to me, anytime you get into energy... You always run the risk of coming off like Cyclops in the X-Men movies where he can shoot his his energy ray and either melt through, you know, a steel door or like he shoots like a guy and the guy just goes flying back a little bit. Like it doesn't shoot a hole through the guy. So that was something that I had a little bit of trouble with was tracking like, oh, OK, well, her energy can burn through this door. But then when she's like tossing people around, I'm like, why are these people not blowing up? And I think the simple explanation is that she can control the output. She just set her phaser to stun (laughs) instead of kill. That's all right. Well, all right, then fine. I'm into it. Like, that's all I care about is if there's like an explanation for it, if I can wrap my head around it, fine. Um, So before we get into spoilers, let's talk about the actual film itself. Um, I know we've been kind of just, you know ticky-tacking on it a little bit. Um, But let's talk about the film itself and give it a popcorn rating. I mean, overall, like, 
I thought the performance is really good. I thought Brie Larson was really good in this movie. Um, she manages to have sort of the smart assness of Tony Stark, but also the earnesty and like the sense of purpose and uh, what's the word serving? I don't know. Uh, being a soldier as Captain America does. And I thought that was a pretty unique um combination i read something this is not my original thought i read it somewhere and i'm sorry i don't remember the source i'll get better at sourcing this but i read that the biggest difference between someone like captain america and captain marvel is that captain america will constantly get up because it's the right thing to do and captain marvel will constantly get up because fuck you like which which tracks you know she's way more of a defiant figure than somebody like Cap is. Um, I love the fact that they teamed her with Sam Jackson. The special effects to age Sam Jackson down. I was, I was going to say, let's talk about what I consider the greatest achievement of this film. And I know it's not unique to this film. But sure. But we are living, and this this movie to me is the first movie that really, to me, signaled the change. I know we've seen it in some other films. Mm-hmm. But... Man, like I sat there literally for moments during this film, especially when because we had so many close ups of Samuel L. Nick Fury talking with Brie Larson in the car, whatever it be. Sure. Like there was a lot of opportunity to closely look at the de aging technology uh, in action. And I'm telling you, like it's flawless. If if you put someone in that film that's never seen Samuel L. Jackson. And told them and watched that film and then showed them a picture of what he actually looks like right now. Like people would be like mind blown from that aspect. It's flawless. Like you could have them watch Pulp Fiction right after and they'd think like, oh, this is just like this is what he looks like. And Coulson for that matter. Coulson, I will say there were a couple Coulson to me didn't look as natural as what Sam Samuel L. did. Um, and maybe it's because Coulson hasn't changed as much as yeah. what Samuel L. has that when I looked at Coulson, it felt more like almost like a a really good like makeup performance sure. than a de-aging. Sure. Um, it felt like they took Coulson and like did some characteristics of what, you know, a... 30 year old would look like versus a 50 year old sure. like some of the areas that like some things that are different commonly with a 30 year old versus a 50 year old like right. um so but, yeah. but man like this just opens up a whole nother rabbit hole that we could talk about for 20 minutes about you know what effect this de-aging technology is really going to have on the on the movie industry i know we're mm-hmm. getting the Irishman, where literally it, it seems like every single character is going to be what they looked like 30 years ago. Yeah. But you just think about that from the perspective of like what this could do to movies. Like you could take any movie that was beloved. Like, you know, Hollywood already loves to recycle content. Sure. <laughs> like and in the past, like if you wanted to reboot something or or add on to it 20 mm-hmm. years later, you had to progress the story mm-hmm. 20 years later because your actors didn't look the same anymore. Um, and makeup and hairstyling was not going to do enough to make them... I mean, just look at 
um, you could only go old, dumb and dumber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you had to cast new. They, guy. You, they if, went. They went younger, and they had to go new. If you wanted to go young, you either had to cast new people. The only direction was to go old and age people up. Like you look at like Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence and like Life or yeah. something like yeah. that. But now you can go in any direction flawlessly. And what's crazy is that I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to make the call right now, but you know. There are bigger movies with bigger special effects than this movie that will be coming out. And the fact of the matter is, is that this is an achievement. Yeah. This is something that is, like you said, is the biggest, what'd you say, the biggest victory of the film or something like that? Yeah, that's 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 what I viewed. When I walked away, it's the biggest effect, it's the biggest achievement that this film makes um, is just basically like a... A flexing of of what it's wild. de-aging can do it's wild. and obviously we'll see how it turns out in something like the irishman where mm-hmm. like literally every character is going to be that way and we'll see whether there's some adverse aspects of it i wonder too like with de-aging um is it going to be something where is it going to be like, one of those like um, arguments I like what about? no but like what you see with uh cgi Sure. You know how there's good CGI, bad CGI. Sure. Like, are lower budget films going to try this but oh. not have quite the same level of success because whatever, they couldn't pay the best of the best right. to do it. Right. Um, but I also think it'll be interesting in that, you know, you go back 15 years, only like the 200 plus million dollar budget films could get really good CGI into their films. Like, right. And you wanted to, you like wanted crap. You wanted to have great CGI, like your budget needed to be a minimum of two hundred million. Like right now, you wanted really good de aging, like you need at least one hundred and fifty million dollars. Um, this one I think was one hundred and eighty eight. We know that the Irishman is something like two hundred and fifty million. Sure, but just think about how just in general things become less expensive with time. Sure, and you know there's going to be a t- period, you know. Maybe it's 10 years from now where to do what they did with Samuel L in this movie is not that expensive. Right. So like lower budget films could take whatever actor they want that may be older than the character that they're wanting to produce. Um, And so it'll be it'll be wild to see what this does. Like you get that whole question about inclusion, diversity, all that kind of stuff. Um are all these older actors that were starting to age out of certain roles and things like that going to get plugged back into the equation because of their draw from the box office? Um, Maybe. And younger, talented actors maybe getting pushed out of some roles because you can bring back um, a Samuel L. and have him play a 25 or 30 year old because you can just use this de-aging process. It'll be wild to watch what effect, because I think no one can go to this film and and truly say like, that wasn't crazy. How seamless Samuel L looked as himself like 30 years ago or 25 years ago. It's insane. I mean, it's like you said, it's one of the, one of the biggest sort of takeaways from this film is how good that that particular effect is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, his performance is great, too. His, he's he's lively. He's energetic. He's acting young, you yeah. know, and that plays really well. And the performances are great across the board. I would re- be remiss if I didn't mention Ben Mendelsohn, who is who plays Talos, who is the Cree leader. He's 
aces in this movie. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's he's really oddly funny um, underneath layers of makeup and stuff like that. I wanted to give a big shout out to him because he's fantastic in it. Um, I really like the storytelling because this tells an origin story differently than any other origin story. Most origin stories are told linearly. You look at Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. Those yeah. are linear. Yeah, and let's. I want to. I want to talk about spoilers, and and but we. <laughs> okay, okay, we've, you're we've right. got to get our popcorn ratings in. For me, I I'm gonna give it a four. It, it wasn't a perfect movie by any so point. movie movie theater popcorn movie theater popcorn. And I will say that you know while I have a lot of nitpicks, I think. You know, look, I'm a fan of the Marvel Universe, and if you're a fan of the Marvel Universe, I think you'll enjoy this film. It, Like I said, you will not come away saying, like, oh my gosh, I think that was the best one. Maybe sure. you will, and, and great for you if you are. I yeah. mean, I know, obviously, different people connect with different movies um, in their own ways. But to me, this was a worthy addition to the franchise. I'm excited to see how they use, now that you got the origin story kind of, gone um i am excited to see how they use her um and that 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 kind of brings back to like you had black panther where we got kind of you didn't get an origin story but we were already introduced we to got him a taste in captain in uh civil war. civil war yeah and so we didn't get your traditional origin story sure. which allowed them to go a whole lot deeper in in my opinion you know in a in a cooler way of handling it a much more memorable way mm -hmm. obviously um and part of me wishes they would have done that a little bit, but I think with someone like Captain Marvel, you have to do an origin story, especially with all the ties that it of has course. to the movies to come. So of you course. couldn't do quite what you did with Black Panther because we've never seen her on screen before. Right. T'Challa got his origin story in as a sub as a as subplot of Civil War. Yeah. This is crazy enough. It needs its own movie. I also give it movie theater popcorn. I think that um, there are some moments where the details aren't really as strong. There are some porting characters that aren't really memorable. Some of the action feels a little okay. That's Marvel action. That being said, I really like the way the story was told. I really like the performances. I think that um, as I mean, we'll we'll get into it into spoilers particularly. But I also really enjoyed the way that uh, this isn't your traditional origin story. You know, it's it's told in a way it's told as somewhat of a mystery. To me, it falls in the middle of the MCU. To me, it falls. It's about on par with like Doctor Strange, and I really like Doctor Strange, and it's about on par with Ant Man, and I really liked Ant Man. Um, it's not down at the bottom by any means, but I am also excited to see where it goes. Um, before we get into spoilers, though, we're going to take a quick little ad break. All right, good movie buddies. Before we get into spoilers, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. We really appreciate you. Just take a couple of seconds to give us a rating, give us a review, share The Popcorn Diet with any of your good movie buddies. And we also want to remind you that uh, you can check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast in all ways shapes and forms but it's also going to get you access to exclusive patron only episodes like our franchise refills like our early episodes and uh, like some of our special articles so definitely check that out at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last 
But certainly not least, you can find all of our latest episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, let's talk about spoilers for a little bit, because there's a lot of shit that happens in this movie. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. One of the things that that you kind of pumped the brakes on for me here was the way that this story unfolds, which is probably good because I probably would have spoiled it anyway, although I think I've done a pretty good job so far. Um, but the way that this movie is told as an origin story is that Carol Danvers is known as Veers. She's already a space badass. She's already part of this crew. And she has these memories. So her origin story, how she got her powers, who she really is, it's told. It's almost presented as a mystery. And I thought that was really unique. And I thought it worked, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and I think they also, in addition to being a bit of a mystery, I would argue that it's actually almost misidentified in the beginning. Because, I, because she has no memory of sure. her origins. Um, and it seems like we get to see what is her first mission, um, because it seems like she's been going through training and, right. and she's not ready. She's not ready. Right. Finally, she gets that opportunity. She's pumped that she finally gets to go out and do something right. other than fight Jude Law. And I'm going to refer to Jude Law as Jude Law because... Jan Rog. Jan Rog just doesn't flow off my tongue really as doesn't. well as I always forget what he's gonna called. Say, so, I'm going to say eggnog at some <laughs> yeah. point. So anyways, um, but getting back to kind of her powers, like you have this whole, you know, we gave you these powers. We can take them away. We can take them away. Which is the, ultimately we discover is because it's the classic case of an unreliable narrator. Sure. Exactly. And so I think from that standpoint, I definitely think it works. You get this whole definitely mystery of like, who am I to believe? And it kind of falls into place with the whole scroll Cree dynamic. Like uh-huh. the whole first 45 minutes of the film, you're led to believe that the uh, scroll are bad, right? You they're know, these shape-shifting, invading, shape-shifting invaders, lizard, ugly assholes. Um, and the funny thing with that too is that the little that we've been introduced to scrolls in other Marvel films, because mm-hmm. we've had a little bit of uh, mostly with Kree, them. but I don't know that we've ever gotten scrolls. I thought we got one scroll um, earlier on. I'll uh, I'll confirm that Maybe. while we're talking. But anyways. From from the little that we've known, we haven't really had a film where we're led to believe someone's good and then they're bad right. by the end of the film. Um, and so I think from that aspect, um, it kind of ties in with everything. Like we're led to believe Captain Marvel, or in this case, Veers, who we know ends up being Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. um, was given these powers as a soldier. Um, and that she is, in fact, a Cree. And that she is a Cree. Yeah. Um, and so from that standpoint, we're kind of led down a certain path and then you kind of get those seeds of doubt, like even the flashbacks, even starting from the beginning, um, you get that flashback memory um, that presents what seems to track with the whole scroll. People are bad guys um, because you see a scroll pull a gun on her. Uh, right. And so or laser, whatever you want to say. Um, but anyways, <laughs> but then as the story progresses, you know, we start to get little. Uh, teasers that maybe you know we don't know the actual truth type of thing. Sure. And so you what they I feel like they tried to do in the film is like as you watch Brie Larson's character kind of learn the truth, like we're learning the truth as well, which isn't always the case in film. Sometimes they show you the bad guy 
the truth before the main character learns it and gets that aha moment. Sure. Like, it's happened before. Like, you look at Jeff Bridges. Like, we knew Jeff Bridges was bad because we saw him be bad. We didn't... Tony Stark didn't know he was bad. Sure. You know? Um, And it's happened before in, in Marvel movies where, oh, the person you think is good is really bad. I mean... It's happened plenty of times. But the oh, yeah. way that it's told here is, again, it's more unique. It's told more in these flashbacks. It's told more. And it turns out that, oh, surprise, surprise, her powers aren't. She, number one, she's not a Cree. She's human. Number two, she got her powers from an explosion um, using Tesseract power. Ties to literally Avengers, Captain America, Infinity War, all this stuff. Yep. Um, and it also turns out, and this is probably one of the biggest ones, David. That the Kree-Skull War is not—Skrull, excuse me, I'm going to do that a lot—not as black and white as you think. You know, In the comic books, the Skrulls are notoriously bad guys. There's an entire gigantic angle that people thought this film was setting up called Secret Wars, which is where in the comic books it turned out that like— a bunch of characters that you know and love are secretly scrolls. Like Tony Stark is a scroll. Holy shit. And so a lot of people thought that by introducing the scrolls in Captain Marvel, oh, that's what we're going to get. But very similar to Iron Man 3, it subverts expectations in that in this case, the few scrolls that we see in the film are actually good guys. They're refugees. They're just trying to survive. And the Kree are the sort of uh, zealot, you know, I don't know, warmongers who are trying to wipe out, you know, the the scroll. And so that's an interesting twist. Now, that's not to say that there are not good Cree and that there are not bad scrolls. You know, I think there's there's nuance in in every it's like humanity, you know, not to get too deep into it, but people are good, people are bad. You know, it's not all one planet of assholes or all one planet of a noble race and so it's not to say that like secret wars couldn't happen you know later on in the future a secret invasion or whatever they called it but it's certainly it's very similar to what they did with the mandarin in iron man 3 which is oh this is the biggest baddest dude on the planet he was the biggest baddest dude in the comic books but guess what not in the movies we're doing it different so that was that's an interest. That's a way. I mean, that's one of the many ways this film subvert expectations. Another way is the way Fury gets his eye patch. Um, though, and they kind of telegraph it a couple times. Like he gets injured on his eye a couple of times throughout the film, until the adorable cat Goose, who turns out to be a Flurgan, which is a giant tentacled monster with a black hole for a belly, scratches his eye. And it gets so bad that he winds up having to lose his eye. And what's really funny is that Coulson comes in and he's like, was oh, it true that the Kree tortured you and, and that's how you lost your eye and you wouldn't give it up? And he's like, I can neither confirm nor deny whatever stories. That's like perfect Nick Fury shit. So I was into that as well. You you find out how – I mean you've done some Easter egg stuff. What other Easter eggs do we got? I mean we have – there's there's – Ties back to the first Avengers and the Avengers initiative. There's ties back to the pager, obviously. Sure. And and I think a lot of the Easter eggs or what you'd consider Easter eggs are almost Easter eggs of the 90s. Um, it's another one. Yeah, I'm and, thinking purely MCU. And and this is where I get into here. Here I'll go down a little bit of uh, a tangent of some nitpicks and things like that. <laughs> OK, um, OK. <laughs> but anyways, so it, there's some fun things that you can do with with what's on screen, but also kind of. 
allude to kind of what I spoke about earlier about maybe not everything squaring up timeline wise. So interesting. We get Blockbuster right in Correct. the beginning. So with Blockbuster, you're you go into a um, video rental store. Right. You remember from back in those days. You're given very specific time frame because, um, as you remember with Blockbuster, you had new releases, you had posters, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, you get the first little teaser, which is the right stuff, is the film that she picks up. Right. um, Which is about uh, a group of uh, Air Force pilots, I believe. And she blows up Uh, a true lies stand. But she blows up a true lies uh, stand, which appeared to be an advertisement for what you would assume would be a new film. Right. And True Lies came out, I believe, in 94. May, July 94. So, so. if it's in a video store, we're saying probably 95 that this is, okay? Conceivably, because you got to think, if it's in a video store and they have the standee, then it's a relatively new release. Exactly. So it could so be late 94, early late 95. Late 94, 95, okay? Um, and I think at one point in the movie if I'm my memory serving me right and it's just been one time and I probably should have researched this but I believe they say <laughs> she's been dead for six years the uh yes Carol she has Danvers six years has of been, her memory gone has been gone and even when she sees her friend again um in Louisiana uh-huh. um they said she's been dead six years which means 89 would be when that crash happened at correct the, at the Latest, earliest, yeah, yeah, essentially. Okay, so eighty nine. Yeah. So one of the Easter egg nitpicks. This is not my own. I got it from our our friends at Den of Geek. Good friends over at Den that. of Geek. Um, but they said if that's the case, then she couldn't have been playing Street Fighter two in that bar in nineteen eighty nine. You know, when she's got the flashback of all the memories she Ooh. had in that bar. Okay. And one of them was playing Street Fighter two, the video game there. Okay. That didn't come out till ninety two. So. You know, you got little things like that, but I get it. I mean, we're we're a '90s movie, so we're trying to just drop as many uh, '90s things in there as well. Uh, you also have "I'm Just a Girl," um, came out in '90s, which again is music that's being played in the background. It's not actually. I don't think, if I remember right, it's not like it gets turned on in the ship. No, um, it's just movie soundtrack. Right. So it's fine to have that in the film. Like you're not required to have something that could have been out during sure. the film. Um, or the time period that you're on there. That being said, shifting gears of being <laughs> nitpicky, and I'm all over the place, so I apologize, everyone. Um, this is the first film, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if I go back and watch it, I won't have the issue. But I remember mm-hmm. in that scene with I'm Just a Girl, having the first time I can remember in a Marvel movie where I felt like the sound and music editing wasn't the best. Sure. Because I'm Just a Girl, great pick for a Captain Marvel. Like, Absolutely. Ties into 90s and obviously the fact that this is our first, you know, sure. true Girl Marvel power. Absolutely. superhero. We've got Black Widow, but this is the first, like, full-on superhero that we right. get. Right. But I feel like you missed an opportunity. Like, you think of some of the music, iconic music, pieces that we've gotten in Marvel. You got right. ACDC in in Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. with Back in Black. You had uh, and just the whole soundtrack particularly was ACDC. Guardians. Uh, Guardians, things know, like that. I know uh, you particularly love the Thor Led Zeppelin. Yes, exactly. Ties. But and, and and again, I need to go back and watch it, but like I felt like when I'm just a girl came on, it came out like 
the appropriate level, like to kind of introduce it. You get the close up of her face, like basically, let's do this. Sure, yeah, we're gonna fight. And it plays throughout that whole fight scene, but I feel like it goes through various levels of volume. And I don't know that you picked up this. Okay, like there's times where it kind of just feels like it's like quietly in the background, and you're getting the loud, you know, explosions and stuff like that, louder than that. And it just seemed weird, like. When you get music in a fight scene, and even if it's kind of quirky like this, like even uh, the Come a Little Bit Closer song mm-hmm. in Guardians 2, mm-hmm. uh, when the arrow's going through killing everybody. Right. Um, <laughs> just a mass murder. Yeah. Uh, but even in this, like I feel like the music, if you're going to make it kind of your fight song music, it needs to be loud. It sure. needs to be evident. Like you don't want the sounds of explosions and that covering up the noise of the song. And to me, it just felt like it kind of covered it up. But anyways, um, that was like a little bit of a, a, a pick on it. Probably let's, let's, let's stick on this tangent of music. What was your favorite use of a 90s song in this film? Um, I, I mean, you want my actual real genuine confession. I don't remember many beyond. I'm just a girl, just a girl. Really? I really don't. Man. Um, and I think a big part of it is because – and this is weird because this has been used – this tactic of putting in popular songs from certain eras yeah. uh, has worked well for Marvel in the past. I mean like you, we just said, Iron Man, the Guardians movies, Thor Ragnarok particularly. However, for me, most of the time – not always, sure. but most of the time – I am disappointed when an action scene puts on a rock song rather than a really good piece of musical composition sure. for the film, right? Yeah, I hear you. Um, and so um, Pinar Toprak, who's uh, – I think she's Turkish. Um, she's one of, if not, I believe the first composer – uh, who is female for a Marvel film, does a pretty decent score. It, it, it's it's appropriately you know, heroic. It's not particularly memorable, but that's kind of my feeling on the on the on the music in general. I think Just a Girl is the most memorable one for me. See, I really enjoyed uh, "Come As You Are," the Nirvana song when she when okay. she gets captured and she's got the meeting with the supreme being yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that was good. I do remember um, that. I now. enjoyed that one. I remember. Um, the what a man, salt and what pepper. Man, I remember that man, one came on. Um, so again, I thought there was some some good ones in there. I do remember waterfalls briefly. Maybe I just wasn't that into like mid early nineties music. It's true. All you listen to is like Fountains of Wayne and and uh, that was a real dark period. Newsboys. If, if I'm being completely honest with you, I did not start getting into popular music until probably high school. Yeah, which is I remember that late nineties, two thousand. Your CD collection was quite disappointing. My CD collection high. was like because it was you and Rob <laughs> in particular, our good good friend of the podcast, Robert Ensley, who introduced me to like The Offspring, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> losing my mind, right? So whatever. And then obviously the classics are introduced to you in a completely different way, seventies sure. and eighties music, yep. but. Whatever, 90s didn't do it for me. I want to wrap this up with one other question, David. Now, obviously, this movie ties directly into Endgame, and I'm excited to see how that happens, okay? But I'm more interested into how they are going to tie Captain Marvel into the MCU because clearly she's the most powerful being in the MCU, the most powerful hero thus far. 
right? I can't think of a more powerful one. I think she's right there with what appears to be a crazy powerful Thor that we got okay. in Infinity sure. War. Okay. Once he, once he, and I won't go on this tangent, but he, that's one of my favorite scenes in all of the Marvel films is when he comes to uh, uh, Wakanda. It's the, at the best. End. It's the best. Like, it's just ridiculous. And he seems like just ridiculously powerful versus the, the Thor that we had had to that point. Sure. Um, sure. So we don't really know kind of where he's at from that standpoint. They're probably pretty close. But they're probably pretty close. But definitely she seems like the most powerful. And, and from the comics and things that we know about this character is she's basically the Marvel Superman right. to some point. She, and remember, she is powered by the powers of an infinity stone which sure. thor cannot say the same exactly um then again so do, some of dr strange he's, a god, as well. but, he's a god you know <laughs> um but to me i hope that they make her more interesting than superman and one of the things that i found to be kind of eh, okay like i enjoyed this movie i enjoyed the end of this movie i enjoyed when she's out there like blowing shit up in space right but i never felt that she was having to exert any type of like force. I never felt like she was in danger. I never felt like there was a moment where she was going to get her ass kicked when she's flying up to meet the accusers and they're launching their rockets and she's flying through the fucking ship, which is a cool shot, right? She literally blows up an entire spaceship with herself. Sure. I hope, because one of my biggest issues with Superman is that the, the, the filmmakers have thus far been really unable to find an interesting foil for Superman. It's always fly faster, be stronger, punch harder, and you can solve the problems, right? And so I am curious as if to we is if we can find ways for Captain Marvel to be challenged and be utilized in ways that isn't just her showing up and being like, hi Thanos and punching him in the face. I feel like that takes away the drama of it all. What do you think about that? You think I'm being ridiculous? Yeah, I think I think that's the challenge with any heroes. I mean, I think one of people, a lot of people who say they like Batman more than Superman is that you know that Batman has limitations and Superman doesn't feel like he does. I would go even further to the point that you need to know that someone can lose, you know, from that standpoint sure. to really truly see stakes in something happening um you know any superhero movie you know pretty much always the good guy is going to win or good girl is going to win um in the end right but, but i mean there's there's struggle the struggles in that that you embrace i think the challenge with this film and i think the challenge moving forward is one with this film we got introduced to a lot of stuff, but we didn't really get the full understanding of it. Like we got introduced to this world of uh, Krees, mm -hmm. but you don't really know what Krees are. Like right. we know they're aliens. They got. We know they're ruled by a supreme intelligence, artificial intelligence. But we don't know like what is that artificial intelligence? Like right. I mean, us as humans in the real world today, like have a feeling of what artificial intelligence is, right. but. Like, we don't know what this is. Is it like an actual being? Is it like an entity? Like, is it right, like a supercomputer? Like, Who knows? Like, so, like, that's kind of, um, you know, we don't really understand as much. Like, when she gets her powers, we know it's from the Tesseract, but like, 
was the Tesseract actually in that engine or was it the just, Tesseract's powers used to create that engine right. because that was what supposedly Lawson was working on. Like right. so I think it was the second, because otherwise like Jude Law would have just taken the Tesseract. For sure. Maybe. Um that also drives But that's me what crazy. they were trying to get the whole sure. time was they were trying to get the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. Uh, but agreed, like w- what you said, um, like Jude that's Law. why he took Brie Larson's character, Captain Marvel or Carol right. Danvers, right. Um, because she blew up the engine, so he knew the power was inside of her. So, And you just lose dramatic stakes when you have, to me, and again, this is just my opinion, I feel like you lose dramatic stakes when you have a being so powerful. Case in point, the final showdown of this movie, when Jude Law is like, you gotta fight me man to man, you gotta prove to me, and she just blasts his ass into a mountain, she's like, I don't have to prove to you anything. Thematically, that fits, but dramatically, that's boring. You know, it's funny, but that's that's I can just whoop your ass. Well, then what's what are the stakes? You know what I mean? If that's the case, if I can just energy blast you, then what are the stakes? So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm just saying, like, she's going to be a part of the MCU for a while. She's going to go into Endgame. She's clearly going to be a trump card when it comes to fighting Thanos. I just hope that they find more creative ways. to Well, use her. and I think with that, you know, kind of wrap up into Endgame is that, you know, one of the storylines with Captain Marvel and Thanos is basically she just goes and takes the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, it's, and I'm butchering it, and if That's anybody one of the knows comic it really well, ones, but one right? of the comic book ways of resolving the whole <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet thing is basically she just takes it from Thanos. Yeah, like just punch you in the head. Um, and so... It'll be interesting to see. Like, I think it's obviously going to be much more complex than that. Sure. But, like, it's it's hard to really judge like how powerful she is when she go until she goes up against truly like an equal or someone in her realm, like against someone like with the powers of what obviously they're on the same team, but of like a Thor, sure, of a you know to of a Thanos, of some of the other people that we've met over this time, like. Is it really going to be on the level or is it going to be like Superman where there has to be like a gimmick, like there has to be like a kryptonite, you know, aspect of it, which to me, kryptonite's always been just a lame way. It's boring. It's boring. Don't get me started on Superman again. I could go. We go for another hour on it. It'll be fun to see. It will be really interesting. Obviously, we got two months, two months, less than two months until Infinity or Endgame. So I will be very excited to see how she is introduced how they undo the snap because her powers can't do that so that that'll be really interesting but that is going to do it for our captain marvel discussion as always remember that you can get regular episodes of the popcorn diet delivered to you for free just by hitting subscribe following us wherever you're listening to us so do us a favor just take a few seconds give us a rating give us a review share the popcorn diet with any of your own good movie buddies follow us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast get some access to exclusive episodes and content and help us make the podcast even better Go ahead and follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And remember that you can find all of our episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on The Popcorn Diet. Adios.